Okay, well, thanks very much uh, for joining us, Noam. The last time um, I interviewed you, you said memorably that we were at the most dangerous moment in human history. Do you think we're at an even more dangerous moment now? There is no one other than Donald Trump in history who has done more to try to drive the human race to extinction. That's the meaning of what we don't bother talking about, namely his dedication to maximizing the use of fossil fuels and to cutting back all con re uh, regulations that might restrict them. Uh, because of his fanaticism about this, the worshipful base of the Republican Party uh, by now barely uh, regards uh, climate change as a serious problem. That's a death warrant to the species. To the species. I mean, we prefer to talk about other things, but that's the overriding concern. Nothing else matters if we move towards uh, destruction of the possibility for organized human life on Earth in the near future. What do you think have been um the most important consequences of Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Well, many consequences. Monstrous for Ukraine, of course. Uh, there are, there have been possibilities for a peaceful settlement. It's still there. Uh, US is not pursuing them. Britain is not pursuing them, but they're there. Uh, there are other consequences. One consequence is just what we've been talking about. It's reversing sharply the limited, much too limited efforts to deal with the existential crisis of environmental destruction. We've just received last August, the most dire report yet from the IPCC warned that we must begin immediately to start reducing fossil fuel use. And we, we must systematically do that every year till, till we stop using them completely. If not, we'll pass irreversible tipping points. So what has happened? Well, what has happened now is the euphoria in the offices of the oil companies even exceeds that of the joy in the offices of the weapons manufacturers. Now they're free from all of this carping by uh, tree huggers. And now they're being admired. Uh, they want to be hugged as they put it, their words. We want to be hugged because we're saving civilization by rapidly increasing the use of fossil fuels. And that's what's happening. That's one consequence of the invasion. There are others. Uh, Putin provided the United States with the most welcome gift that it could possibly imagine uh, over the, through the, throughout the whole Cold War. There's been a background debate about the status of Europe. There are two pictures. Should Europe be subordinate to the United States, uh, simply follow US orders within the Atlanticist 
NATO framework, or should Europe seek to move towards an independent role in world affairs, maybe along the lines proposed by de Gaulle, uh, pressed to some extent by Willy Brandt in his Ostpolitik, and now slightly pushed by Emmanuel Macron and his uh, comments for calling for moderation and move to uh, lead to some negotiated settlement which separates him from other European leaders. Well, of course, the United States prefers the Atlanticist NATO uh, uh, vision, not the de Gaulle Gorbachev vision of a common European home independent of the United States. Putin in his foolish criminality has driven Europe deep into the US pocket. Now it's just a flack for the United States. Uh, it's pretty astonishing to observe. Well, that's another consequence of the Ukraine invasion. The main thing we should be concerned about is what can we do to save Ukraine from further disaster? And one of the things we could do is be honest about Western policy. So for example, Western policy is, US policy at least, is stated very clearly, very explicitly in a crucial document that the press in the United States, maybe in Britain, has refused to report. September 2021, last September, the Biden administration produced a crucial policy statement. It's called a joint statement on strategic cooperation with Ukraine. That's operative American policy. Nothing could be more important now. It calls for an encourage, further encouragement to Ukraine to join NATO, doors wide open, calls for enhancing US-Ukraine military cooperation, sending advanced weapons, uh, other such provisions, I'm sorry, I can't quote it from memory, uh, all as part of the uh, Ukraine and, and uh, NATO enhancement program. Well, it's perfectly possible. Every year, for years, uh, Putin has been carrying out mobilization of Russian forces on the Ukraine border, February or March, in an effort to try to get the United States to pay some attention to the appeals, uh, concerns about Russian security that have been voiced by every Russian leader back to Yeltsin in the late 90s, Gorbachev, every Russian leader. It's recognized by a host of high level US diplomats to be a serious concern. Warnings to the US from George Kennan, Henry Kissinger, CIA Director William Burns, previous CIA Director Sansfield Turner, uh, William Perry, Secretary of Defense, virtually resigned when Clinton decided to break the 
Bushbaker promised to Gorbachev not to expand to the East. It's been going for 25 years. Every year there's a Russian mobilization to try to break the silence. This year, Putin went further, escalated it to criminal aggression. Well, why did he do it? There are two ways of looking at this question. One way, the fashionable way in the West is to plumb the recesses of Putin's twisted mind and try to determine what's happening in his deep psyche. But the other way would be to look at the facts. For example, to look at the fact that in September 2021, the United States came out with a strong policy statement calling for enhancement of US efforts, military cooperation with Ukraine, further sending of advanced military weapons, military uh, operation, joint military operations, all part of the enhancement program of Ukraine joining NATO. That would be one possibility to look at that. Okay, you can take your choice. The fashionable way is a deep analysis of uh, Putin's soul. It's a choice. We don't know which is right. What we do know is that Ukraine will be further devastated and we may move on to terminal nuclear war if we do not pursue the opportunities that exist for a negotiated settlement. Now, anyone who has a functioning brain knows that a negotiated settlement will have to leave some kind of an escape for Putin. If you tell Putin our policy is, you gotta go, nothing for you, we're gonna smash you, he'll go for broke. What else is he gonna do? And the worst will happen. So if you really hate Ukrainians and you want them to suffer as much as possible and you wanna raise the possibility of war, what you should do is avoid the opportunities for negotiations, uh, insist on policies like the September 2021 policy and uh, uh, call for no-fly zones, uh, other things that'll lead to an escalation of the war. That's an option. The other option is to pursue the negotiation possibilities that exist to follow, uh, and they do, they're reduced to recognize that any settlement is gonna have to be pretty much along the lines of what Zelensky recently proposed and the US rejects, uh, has to be along those lines. Neutralization of Ukraine, some sort of settlement about the Donbass region, some form of autonomy, maybe some form of federalism and, fit, and putting off the Crimea issue because it can't, can't be settled within any kind of time span that would save Ukraine from destruction and the world from the threat of war. That's if we want to, to settle the situation. If we want Ukraine to suffer more, we can follow Hillary Clinton's advice. Joyous proposal 
to set up an Afghan style uh, insurgency in, in Ukraine to drain the Russians and to massacre Ukrainians. Okay, can do that if you like it. Uh, or you can follow basically Zelensky's proposals, Macron's proposals, uh, those proposed by serious analysts, people like Anatol Yevin, who actually know something about the situation and have been right about it all along. Those are the options. Joe Biden's been um, much criticized for his erratic messaging on, on Ukraine, uh, most recently calling for Putin's departure. What do you make of his performance during the crisis? It was an ad lib statement, which uh, caused great consternation uh, because of the obvious consequences for Ukraine and the world. His staff immediately uh, withdrew the statement, uh, approached the press to say he didn't mean what he said, don't pay attention to it. Now there's a second reaction coming including from liberals in the United States, saying he should be praised for the statement. He expressed the natural moral outrage that we all feel for the genocide that Putin is carrying out in Ukraine. Okay, so he should be praised. Well, you might take a Ukraine is a horrible monstrosity. Is it genocide? If it's genocide, what term do we use for the US-UK uh, actions, which are vastly worse? Okay, what term do we use for them? What term do we use for the fact, uh, where is the moral outrage? Yes, it's certainly right to have moral outrage about Putin's actions in Ukraine. It would be even more proper, far more, to have moral outrage about things, horrible atrocities going on right now, which we can act to end, far more important. So take Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, literally millions of people are facing imminent starvation. Why? There's food in the markets, but people who have money, little money, have to watch their children starve because they can't go to the market to buy food. Why? Because the United States, with the backing of Britain, has kept Afghanistan's funds in New York banks and will not release them so that poor Afghans can go to the bank and get a little money to save their children from starvation hundreds of thousands, maybe millions. Of course, there's a pretext. Pretext is even more shameful, disgraceful than the practice. The pretext is, well, Americans might want the reparations for crimes committed in 9-11. So therefore we have to ensure that millions of Afghans face starvation. And this is praised in the West, in the United States and Britain. Afghans had nothing to do with 9-11, nothing. You might remember, if our memory is permitted, that the Taliban offered 
full surrender, total surrender, meaning handing over to the United States, the suspects from Al Qaeda. And remember, they were suspects. The FBI said, we don't know, maybe they're responsible, maybe not. But they agreed to hand over the suspects and the US responded. Donald Rumsfeld, the architect of the crime of invasion, Donald Rumsfeld said, we do not negotiate surrenders. President George W. Bush echoed it. We do not negotiate surrenders. We're gonna smash you up good for the crime that you did not commit. And now we're gonna ensure that you and your children starve because maybe Americans might like, might call for reparations for what you didn't do. And we have no moral outrage about that. Have you heard any? I haven't. Is anybody calling for it? Well, we can go on. The United States and Britain right now are providing arms to Saudi Arabia. The Saudi Arabian and Emirati air forces cannot function without US British plane training, intelligence, spare parts and so on. And what are they doing with the gift that we are now giving them? Well, for example, they're blockading the sole, Saudi Arabia has enhanced its blockade of the sole port from which uh, Yemenis can import food, food and oil. They've now enhanced it. The US, UN, their, the official death toll last year was 370,000 killed, mostly the result of Saudi Emirati attacks with US British help. We don't know the actual death toll, nobody can count. We do know that the United Nations describing it as the worst humanitarian disaster in the world, recently issued warnings that hundreds of thousands of Yemeni children face imminent starvation. These warnings are backed up by high expert US uh, uh, officials, Bruce Riedel, CIA director for four presidents, amplifies the warnings, calls for Saudi Arabia to be charged with war crimes. Too polite to say that the United States and UK are directly involved in them. How about some moral outrage about that? That's something we can stop. We can stop it tomorrow. Okay. Well, any moral outrage? Not too hard to go on. So yes, we should have moral outrage about Ukraine and we should act to try to stop the crimes instead of enhancing them. And we should have much more moral outrage about crimes that we are now engaged in and we can stop. Therefore, they're far more important on any, by any moral principle that we can imagine. But these things can't be discussed, not in uh, societies like the United States and Britain, where, you have, where the intellectual classes have to be highly conformist to state doctrine.
not raise any questions. There's a few outsiders at the extremes who do, but not the mainstream. And you can see it by the coverage of things like what we're just talking about, which is nothing new, incidentally. Uh, take, uh, take the invasion of Iraq, a far worse crime than Putin's, incomparably worse. The kind of crime, it was what the Nuremberg judgment called the supreme international crime for which Nazi war criminals were hanged at Nuremberg. Well, you can tell me about the United States and UK. I don't read the press regularly. In the United States, to this day, no one except at the very fringe is able to say what I just said. Uh, the harshest criticism that can be made of the war was it was strategic blunder. Obama, highly praised for calling the war a strategic blunder. Did we praise Russian generals in the early 80s for calling the Russian invasion of Afghanistan a strategic blunder? Not that I recall. Uh, do we praise American leaders for doing the same to the skies? Can anyone tell the truth about it? No, it gets worse. The we've just passed the 20th anniversary of the invasion of Afghanistan. Serious crime destroyed the country. Well, it was a perpetrator. His name is George W. Bush. There was an, actually an interview with him on the 20th anniversary. Praise to the American press. They interviewed him in the Washington Post in the style section. It was an interview of this goofy, lovable grandpa playing with his grandchildren and showing the portraits of all that he painted of all the wonderful people he met. That's the interview, the sole interview on the 20th anniversary of the invasion of Afghanistan, a country which we are now at this moment driving to terrifying disaster by refusing to release the funds that would allow poor Afghans to buy a little food for their starving children. That's us. Uh, you can describe to me how it was handled in the UK. Well, do we wanna face the facts about ourselves or do we wanna posture heroically with uh, Winston Churchill impersonations about uh, how we have to defend Ukraine from genocide? choice. I think it's a very important point. But just to um, return to Ukraine, um, what's your response to those who say that um, for Putin, uh, citing NATO expansion is just a fig leaf and that what he really fears is the spread of uh, liberal democracy? Putin is as concerned about democracy as we are. Uh, if it's possible to break out of the propaganda bubble for a few minutes, and to look at the record, the US has a long record of undermining and destroying democracy. Do I have to run through it? Uh, you, Iran in 1953, Guatemala in 1954, uh, Chile in uh, 19, uh, 
1973, on and on, okay? It's a long record of opposition to democracy and contempt for sovereignty. But the, we are supposed to now uh, uh, honor and admire uh, Washington's enormous commitment to sovereignty and democracy. What happened in history doesn't matter. That's for other people. Uh, we live in an Orwellian world, no history. Well, what about the NATO expansion? There was a clear, explicit, unambiguous promise by James Baker and President H.W. Bush to Gorbachev that if he agreed to allow a unified Germany to rejoin NATO, the United States would ensure that there would be no move one inch to the east. There's a good deal of lying going on about this now, pretending he didn't say it, it was just a hypothesis. I would therefore suggest that you look at the National Security Archives, the authoritative account of the actual records and documents. Just read it. It's an unambiguous, clear promise and exactly what I said. Bush lived up to it. Clinton lived up to it during his first term. In 1998, probably with an eye on the Polish vote, he was a political animal, uh, he offered membership in NATO to Poland, uh, Romania, uh, Slovenia. He was bitterly condemned for this by, as I said, a whole host of high-level diplomats. Cannon, Kissinger, Matlock, Ambassador Matlock, leading Russia specialist in the diplomatic corps, William Perry, Defense Secretary, practically resigned in protest, long list of others, a letter by 50 leading specialists warning him not to do this. He didn't care. Uh, Yeltsin, uh, objected strongly, Gorbachev objected, who cares? George W. Bush came along, he threw the door open, brought in a whole host of others, uh, offered the door, open door to Ukraine. Every U.S. diplomat and analyst, including the CIA director and a former one, understand that Georgia and Ukraine are red lines for every Russian leader. They were willing to tolerate the breaking of the promise for the uh, democracy, for the countries on their border, but not Ukraine and Georgia. That no Russian leader would tolerate. Every US high level diplomat and specialist understands that. So therefore, in September, 2021, the US government threw the door even wider open to Ukraine and called for enhancing US military cooperation, advanced weapons, training for Ukraine as part of the uh, advanced Ukraine-NATO enhancement deal. Well, those, that's 
the mere facts of the matter is it's much more convenient to look into Putin's soul and say he's opposed to democracy, unlike us with our fervent love for democracy. Is there any wonder why the global South is exploding in ridicule as it watches this performance of Europe and the United States? They have a little experience with British American uh, love for democracy and sovereignty. Mm. You mentioned Donald Trump earlier. How worried are you about him potentially returning to office? If Donald Trump comes to office, we can be confident that we will uh, carry forward the escalation of the race to utter catastrophe through destruction of the environment. He's perfectly clear about it. His troops are calling for it. Uh, the Republican Party in Congress right now has been dedicated to blocking any move, the slightest move towards mitigating climate, uh, climate disaster. 100% rock solid. Biden didn't have great programs, but he had some programs for dealing with the climate catastrophe. Every single one is blocked by 100% Republican opposition with the cooperation of one Democrat, Joe Manchin, coal magnate, became a multimillionaire through his coal business, leading recipient of coal mining funding. He goes along with them. Uh, incidentally, the United Mine Workers in West Virginia, his state, they have agreed to a transition program away from coal towards renewable energy, but not Manchin and not 100% Republicans. Uh, Republican base following their leader, they worship Trump, now barely regards global warming as a problem. So what can we expect when he comes back to office? Is it a real question? We can also expect further steps towards destruction of American democracy, which is well underway. Uh, the Republicans used to be an authentic political party. I've voted for Republicans in the past. You could like them or not, but they were an authentic party. Uh, that pretty much stopped back in the mid 90s when Newt Gingrich took over and turned them into a denialist party. Reject anything that Democrats do. Uh, Mitch McConnell, the current Republican leader is explicit about it. He said our prime concern, he said this with Obama, he's repeated it now, our prime concern is to ensure that the Democrats can do nothing because then we can come back to power. Let's harm the country as much as possible so we can regain power and we can then continue with voter repression uh, with the help of the reactionary Supreme Court, uh, with uh, 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 radical uh, measures to 
ensure that uh, the wrong people, minorities, aren't able to vote to ensure to develop a Christian nationalist, white supremacist country, uh, which they're trying to do very hard. That's why the Republicans now, uh, the Republican Party is now glorifying Viktor Orban and, and his uh, illiberal democracy in, uh, in Hungary. Europe's protesting against it, not the Republicans. Fox News, Tucker Carlson, host of others are praising Ukraine for moving towards a Christian nationalist, white, uh, illiberal, uh, quasi-democracy, which will undermine it. That's the Republican Party. Try to find an exception. I mean, there are people who don't like it particularly, but they're going along because they're afraid of the hordes, the mobs that Trump has managed to mobilize. They terrify all of them. They're afraid if they say anything, there'll be a primary in which they'll be opposed by this massive force with plenty of money behind it. Uh, uh, oil executives, tons of others. Well, that's, I mean, there is much talk, has been for years, about American decline. Uh, most of it I don't think is meaningful. But one thing is true the country is undermining itself from within, seriously undermining itself from within. When that happens in Hungary, it's bad. When that happens in the most powerful country in world history, it's a catastrophe, not just for the country, but the world. And as long as it's British poodle uh, chirps behind it and supports it all, makes it even worse. Well, we had a break. I looked up the actual wording of official policy the joint statement. So I'll read it. The most important document to pay attention to right now. First of all, forcefully declares that Ukraine must be free to join NATO. It finalized a strategic defense framework that creates a foundation for the enhancement of US-Ukraine strategic defense and security cooperation by providing Ukraine with advanced anti-tank and other weapons, along with a robust training and exercise program in keeping with Ukraine's status as a NATO enhanced opportunities partner. That's what uh, Putin was reading, uh, though not Americans and British. The, press was kind enough to save us from it. But you can be pretty sure that the Russians are reading it. From a, a UK perspective, I wanted to ask, what, what do you make of the Labour Party's trajectory under Keir Starmer? Well, it's very important to continue the elite program pretty much across the spectrum to destroy Corbyn and everything that he stood for. 
the, uh, it's intolerable to elite British opinion that there should be a Labour Party that actually responds to its constituents, a Labour Party that is concerned with the interests of working people and works for their benefit, that pursues the policies that won a big Labour majority in 2017, terrifying the establishment. So that has to be killed. It was killed with lots of fakery about anti-Semitism, deplorable attacks, others, uh, and Keith Starmer is carrying it forward. He's returning the Labour Party to a, a party that's reliably obedient to power, that will be uh, Thatcher light in the style of Tony Blair and uh, won't ruffle feathers of either the United States or anyone who's important in Britain. I think he's doing a good job of that. What would your um, advice be to those on the left of the Democratic Party? It, it's a mixed story. Uh, there are the, there's the left component in Congress, what they sometimes call the Quad. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, 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 Jayapal, Representative Jayapal, who runs the Progressive Caucus, a few others, uh, they, uh, they have been taking what, in my opinion, at least is a very sensible position by and large. Jayapal particularly is very careful with her parliamentary maneuvers, has tried to push forward the more positive elements of the Biden program while trying to block the uh, 100% Republican opposition to anything that might benefit the country. Ocasio-Cortez, along with Representative uh, Senator Ed Markey, senior senator from Massachusetts, uh, the two of them put forth a uh, very carefully designed program for a Green New Deal. Uh, pretty much along the lines of the International Energy Commission, uh, uh, others, um, my co-author Robert Pollan, uh, economist who's worked on it in great detail, Jeffrey Sachs, others pretty much agreed. Uh, they introduced the resolution in 2019. Of course, it got nowhere. Republicans won't even allow it to be looked at. They reintroduced it uh, last year, still no resonance. It's the kind of program that is necessary if we're gonna survive. Well, as I mentioned before, Biden had some positive elements in his program. They were killed by 100% Republican opposition, along with right-wing Democrats, Manchin in particular. But the Ocasio-Cortez Markey program is a necessity for survival. And the left Democrats in Congress are lined up behind it along with a few others. Not enough to break the right-wing block. It's worth remembering how tight this is. The Republican Party 
has stated explicitly its red lines, things it will not permit to be touched. And that gives you a good indication of what's going to happen when they probably retake Congress in November and then on to 2024. Take a look at them. The red lines are nothing can touch their one legislative achievement when Trump was in office, the 2017 tax bill, which was a giveaway to the super rich and the corporate sector, stabbing everyone else in the back. Joe Stiglitz, Nobel laureate in economics, called it the Donor Relief Act of 2017, about what it was. So that can't be touched. We have to continue with our total subordination, total service to the super rich and the corporate sector. The second thing that can't be touched is defunding the Internal Revenue Service been defunded for years, and the Republicans insist that that be continued. Why? Because the Internal Revenue Service goes after tax cheating. Tax cheating doesn't occur among poor people. They pay what limited tax there is. Tax cheating is a huge industry among the super rich tax havens, shell companies, uh, huge batteries of corporate lawyers figuring out more ways to rob the public. It's in the, nobody knows how much, tens of trillions of dollars. And that can't be touched. Okay, we got to ensure that tax cheating continue. That's the Republican Party. Also block anything that might deal with the climate change, ensure that the military budget keeps expanding. Uh, that's the Republican organization. I hate to call them a party. They're not a party anymore. They were described by uh, one of the main, most respected political analysts, Norman Ornstein of the Conservative American Enterprise Institute. About 10 years ago, he described the Republican Party as no longer a political party, a radical insurgency uh, dedicated to undermining parliamentary politics in the interests of their masters. And that's right in front of our eyes. We can continue to pretend that it's a, Republic, a party if we like, but as we can pretend that the US and Britain support democracy. We can pretend whatever we like, but those are the clear, unmistakable facts. And that's what we're facing in November when they come, likely come back to power, even more so in 2024. And recall that by now, Trump is outflanked from the right. He's by no means, he gets booed at conferences because he's not extremist enough. What has happened? I mean, I'm old enough to remember the early 1930s and memories come to mind. I can remember listening to 
Hitler's speeches on the radio. I didn't understand the words. I was six years old, but I understood the mood and it was frightening and terrifying. And when you watch one of Trump's rallies, that can't fail to come to mind. That's what we're facing. It's not fascism, but it's a move in that direction, unmistakable move. And uh, this is not Hungary. It's the most powerful state in world history. What it does is gonna have a massive effect on others. Uh, we haven't talked about other things that are urgent. One of them is the current Biden policy towards China. Current policy announced by Trump, expanded by Biden, is to set up, is to, as they put it, encircle China. Encircle China with sentinel states, a ring of states, hostile states from South Korea, Taiwan, Japan, Australia, uh, New Zealand, India is a reluctant participant. Surround them, Singapore states, which the Biden administration just recently is now equipping with more advanced precision guided missiles aiming at China. Okay, we have to protect ourselves from the China threat by imposing a massive threat against China with British cooperation. The United States has sent Australia uh, a fleet, is sending Australia a fleet of nuclear submarines to patrol the seas off China's coast. China has nothing remotely like them. They're still using uh, 1970s diesel powered submarines, but we have to, that's the Orca Steel, Britain, the United States, Australia, killed a French deal with uh, Australia for submarines. They weren't advanced enough. France was of course furious, uh, but it doesn't matter. We have to increase the threat against China by making sure that they're facing advanced missiles, nuclear submarines, which are advertised publicly as being able to enter Chinese ports silently and to attack any Chinese city. And meanwhile, the United States is upgrading its own nuclear submarine force. The current ones aren't powerful enough, the Trident submarines. They're only powerful enough so that one, one submarine with Trident missiles can destroy almost 200 cities anywhere in the world. Not enough. We have to upgrade them to more advanced ones. I'm sure Britain will be salivating at the prospect of getting some of them. Uh, that's what we have to do to try to make the world as dangerous as possible, uh, not uh, in every front. And meanwhile, keep quiet about it and express our moral outrage over the horrible crimes that an enemy is carrying out. It's an old story. What is your view of the um, 
Brexit project now, and do you think it's created a, a contradiction for the Conservative Party in that, on the one hand, its message has always been, well, not always been, but in recent history has been, you have to respect the market, but Brexit, in some respects, marks a departure from certain uh, Western liberal norms. Well, I thought all along that Brexit was a very serious error, be very harmful to Britain, be harmful to Europe. It's a great gift to the United States. It means that Britain will be compelled to drift even further into subordination to the United States, which is exactly what the US wants for Britain and all of Europe. Uh, apart from that, I think it's a disaster. What does it mean for the Conservative Party? Probably nothing. I imagine they can lie their way out of it, doing a good job of that on a lot of things and getting away with it. So maybe they can continue, probably with the help of Starmer. What's, uh, what motivates you? What keeps you going to be this engaged in um, international affairs and, and media appearances and so on? Uh, obviously, yeah. Tell you an anecdote. The first article I wrote, at least that I can remember, was in fifth grade. I was 10 years old. I can date it very easily because of the time and the topic. It was an article about the fall of Barcelona. It was an article for the elementary school newspaper. I was the editor, probably the only reader, maybe my mother. Uh, the article I partly remember, it was about the fall of Austria, fall of Czechoslovakia, fall of Toledo, now the fall of Barcelona. Looks like the grim cloud of fascism is spreading over the whole world, inexorable. Well, that was 9th, February 1939. Uh, haven't changed my opinion since. It's just gotten worse. The doomsday clock of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists under Trump, they abandoned minutes, moved to seconds. 100 seconds to midnight, that's where it is now, because the threats are accumulating. We're approaching the most dangerous point in human history. Nothing like it before. We are now facing the prospect of destruction of organized human life on Earth from environmental destruction and not in the remote future. We are approaching irreversible turning points, which turning points, which will not be, uh, cannot be dealt with any longer. It doesn't mean everybody's going to die, but it's going to mean moving to a future in which the lucky ones will be those who die quick, more quickly. In addition to that, we are rapidly increasing the threat of nuclear war. Right at this moment, over a third of Americans say in polls that they are willing to engage in military action, US military action in Ukraine, even if it's likely to need the nuclear war. That's over a third of Americans, mostly the cohort that Trump has organized. Who cares? They don't know. 
fortunately, the Pentagon, the last sane voice, is blocking all of this. How long the Pentagon can hold out, I don't know. You have people in Congress calling uh, passionately, very brave for a no-fly zone. The Pentagon is telling them, look, you imbeciles, if there's a no-fly zone, we have to attack Russian anti-aircraft installations inside Russia. What do you think is going to happen then? Oh, we don't care. We're brave and bold. Uh, I mentioned Anatoly Yevin before, one of the rare sane voices. He recently pointed out that chicken hawks like to squawk loudly very far from where the action is. We're seeing a lot of that in the United States and in Britain. Okay, we're moving. The threat of nuclear war was already severe before the Putin's invasion. It's now worse. The threat of environmental destruction has gotten much worse with the reversal of the limited efforts to deal with it now moving towards rapid expansion of fossil fuels. I simply don't understand the question, how can anybody be motivated? How can anybody not be desperately committed to trying to put a stop to the end of the human experiment on Earth? That's what we're facing. We've obviously dwelt on a lot of um, dark subjects, um, what is it that gives you hope? What gives me hope? A lot of young people. In England, uh, Extinction Rebellion. Young people really dedicated to trying to put an end to the catastrophe, willing to take serious actions. Civil disobedience, it's not a joke. I've been involved in it a long time for much of my life. I'm too old for it now, but uh, it's not pleasant to be maced, arrested, thrown in jail, uh, beaten, uh, pleasanter things that you can imagine. But they're willing to undertake it to try to stop this mad race to catastrophe. There are people like them in the United States, Sunrise Movement, young people who been working hard to try to prevent the disaster that their elders are rushing towards. They reached the point of sitting in on congressional offices to demand some action on climate change. Ordinarily, they would have just been thrown out, but not this time, because they were joined by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez young representative who came in on the Sanders wave. Uh, well, that meant they weren't thrown out, meant that they actually were able to get to the point of getting Biden to put on his program, a climate change program, which is much better than anything preceded. Not enough, but something killed by the Republicans and right-wing Democrats, but there is still the Ocasio-Cortez Marquis resolution, and they're continuing to work. 
lots of young people are active. Not so much on the nuclear program. That seems to have faded from people's consciousness. I don't seem to understand what a nuclear war is. A nuclear war, a first, the country that carries out a first strike will be destroyed by a nuclear war, simply by the effects of nuclear winter, if it's a major power. Simply hasn't reached consciousness. It has among atomic scientists and the Pentagon, but not general consciousness. Uh, more things that people don't understand and should. Russia has a very weak warning system. They rely on old-fashioned radar-based warning systems. That means up to the horizon. That means that a Russian official has almost no time to react if there's a warning of an attack. And there are many warnings just by accident, hundreds of them blocked by human interference, sometimes very close, very close calls. Well, that got much worse when Donald Trump dismantled the INF Treaty, the Gorbachev-Reagan INF Treaty that puts Moscow within a couple of minutes of uh, NATO missiles. Uh, uh, the, uh, but now it's with the advancement of NATO forces to the Russian border and emplacing weapons and the September 2021 statement that I just read you, the currently operative statement, raises the threat much greater, threat just of accident. The United States is much more advanced. It uses satellite-based warning systems, it means it has a warning even at the first step of possibly setting a, uh, mounting a missile right away, the US knows, not Russia. That's the situation that is being overlooked by the people who do their uh, brave statements in Congress and in the media. Well, there are, to get back to your question, there are plenty of young people, plenty of them, who are appalled by the behavior of the older generation, rightly, your generation, my generation. They're appalled by it and dedicated to trying to stop this madness before it consumes us all. Well, that's the hope for the future. That's a very good note to end on. Um, so thanks uh, hugely for your time today. Thank you. Mm -hmm.